0: Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. On today's show, China's Spring Festival holiday consumption boom with surge of both tourism and box office. And the country's digital finance has gone global, enabling tourists to travel abroad with one wallet. And now let's begin with our top story. Chinese consumers have shown great spending power during this year's spring festival holiday. Experts say the eight-day holiday has been an unprecedented peak season for consumption, and it will pave the way for economic development throughout the year. A report released by the China Tourism Academy said the total number of domestic tourist trips will reach 6 billion in the year 2024, with the combined number of inbound and outbound tourist trips expected to surpass 260 million. So for more on this, join us on the line now are Dr. Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow with the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation, and also Yan Liang, Professor of Economics University. So Dr. Zhou, I will start with you. So take a look at this year's spring festival holiday consumption. We now see the holiday consumption spending surpassing the pre-pandemic levels in China. So can we consider this year's holiday spending as pent-up demand still being released, or is it a new normal of stronger post-pandemic holiday spending?
1: Uh, in my understanding, it's uh, a a very important moment for the growing up. After the pandemic, many of the consumers in China are not able to go out for the tourism or to go to the restaurants, but now they have the opportunities. So I can feel, uh, have a feeling that the trend is uh, increasing very quickly. And while we are seeing not only for Chinese own or domestic tourists, there are some uh, foreign to- uh, tourists coming here to China, and they also with a very important festival of the uh, spring festival. So they have very important feeling about the culture. This uh, kind of a combination of uh, domestic consumers and the foreign consumers
0: Mm -hmm. and yeah as uh, jomi mentioned that we are seeing a surge in consumption related to you know the cultural activities so when it comes to tourism what do you think is the new trend of it and what kind of uh, spillover effects does a tourism surge have on other forms of uh, you know consumption and demand
2: yeah, good to talk to you, Zhang Yang. Happy New Year. Um, so in terms of the new trends, I think there are at least three kind of new trends um, that I think we can observe. Well, one is, of course, there are more trips that are being taken, especially when it comes to international outbound traveling. Um, so domestic tourism has recovered relatively quickly last year, but international tourism uh, was slower to uh, come back. Uh, part of the reason has to do with you know the the, the slow recovery of international uh, flights um, and also some of the you know tourism kind of facilities that are still slow to come back. But this year, I think we have seen a lot more uh, international travel, and that is expected to reach about 80 percent of the 2019 volumes. So that is one trend that we start to see more international traveling. And second, I think what we have seen is um, there have been increase in uh the new sort of popular destinations like in the northeast Harbing and Harbin and Tisihar in and many of the uh sort of the ice and snow areas are now are becoming uh very attractive for tourists. And also internationally, um previously, you know, last year for example, we saw seventy two percent of the international trips Uh, were taken within the Southeast Asia. But this year, it's only about half um, of these international trips were in Southeast Asia. And so a lot more travelers uh, go beyond Asia and go to Europe and elsewhere. Um, But still, I think uh, Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, and all these Southeast countries are are still very popular, uh, partly due to the the reason that they also celebrate Runa New Year, but also because of the newly passed visa facilitation. And then the last trend uh, is that, as you mentioned, a lot of these trips are based on culture and experience. Um, people are no longer joining a lot of group trips to go to very specific places or, you know, have to kind of shop until you drop the kinds of traveling. Um, but really people are going to the cultural sites. They're taking natural adventures like skydiving or diving or skiing, mm. um, you know, going to watch the uh, Northern Lights, for example.
1: So um,
2: I think a lot of these had to do with the Gen Z population um, that they are going out for you know travel experiences and cultural exposures um, instead of just you know going to some places take pictures and buy stuff. And
1: mm-hmm. um, so
2: I think these are very interesting trends and of course tourism is uh in and of itself is a very in the important industry but more importantly as you mentioned uh with the boom of tourism it also helped to boost other industries like transportation uh, like hospitality industries you know caterings restaurants and also you know box offices Um, And so there are many industries uh, that are going to be uh, growing uh, due to this kind of stimulus effect of the tourism industry.
0: Mm -hmm. So, Dr. Zhou, so how do you think does a surge in tourism, you know, help the local economy and businesses in some of the Chinese cities? Could you give us some specific examples?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, last year I went to uh, work in the local province in China in Guangxi and so I have many feelings because you know when before the uh, spring festival the local governments are very serious about how can we deal with the situation so we have to be very propelled for some of the consumptions like for the food like for the organization of uh, different kind of activities and also do a lot of preparation for some emergence of like the shortage of supply of certain kind of products so it's a really important thing a uh, task for the local commercial government well i have to say that when they are doing that they hope that they have a leverage of the effect to booms uh, local gdp or other kind of job creation or taxes or other things so for them they they should try to carefully design the path and the effects that can be delivered by the tourism so mm-hmm. in this regard i would say that they are paying more attention on the different scenarios like some of them holding the festivals for the light festivals and to Exhibitions of the, the vehicles, and they're providing many opportunities in the days because people have more leisure time. They can spend some time and, uh, and uh, together some money in the local areas well i have to say that different provinces have different situations mm-hmm. so they are trying to benefit with their local resources like some of them has historic size and some of them very beautiful sceneries and they are trying to attract the tourists and they have a lot of uh, you know provide better hotels and also a lot of things mm-hmm. so for the local government they are really important factor because the consumption is one of the main factors that is uh, the decision of the GDP growth. It's a beginning of the one year. So the first quarter always should be working harder. It's a good start, so they hope to.
0: Mm-hmm. Working harder. And yes, yeah, so tourism bureaus in different provinces and cities, they are now competing for Internet fame and they want to attract more tourists. So what does this competition mean for today's China and its economy?
2: Well, I think this kind competition is very important. I think the government plays a very instrumental role in promoting local economies. So as we know, many of the local governments and the tourism bureaus, um, they are putting forth a lot of, you know, uh, social media clips, uh, videos, and they're introducing um, their local attractions, their culture, their very unique culture. And they're also um, helping the businesses to set up, you know, for example, in Harbin,
1: you know, mm. those
2: ice and uh, snow sculptures, Um, The government plays a very important role in setting this up and help the businesses uh, to provide, you know, these very warm, welcoming um, kind of environment to attract uh, tourists. So I think the the business community and also the the, uh, government can really build these synergetic uh, relationships and promote their local economies. And we need both um, to be able to really, you know, um, uh, uh, make the local economy thrive. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, one word of caution, though, is um, we need to make sure that, you know, different localities have their different unique cultures and their du- different unique natural sceneries. So we need to try to avoid a kind of duplication, right, that each government, each locations should have their own uniqueness to attract, um, you know, the, uh, travelers. And mm-hmm. also, I think very importantly, the government needs to also make sure that they increase the monitoring, regulations of the economy, Um, to make sure that the local, you know, tourism industry is in order, right? And they are going to uh, really provide uh, good services uh, for the travel experiences. Mm.
0: And Dr. Zhou, so we've talked about the domestic tourism, domestic demand, and we are also seeing more and more Chinese tourists traveling abroad during this uh, spring festival season. So what's your experience? I know that you traveling, you know, to Japan, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's true. So it's the first time I went to Japan. Uh, I think it's a quite interesting journey. So I have experienced some different cultures and I have to see that according to the scenarios about the tourism, they also want to have uh, to attract more Chinese tourism. You can find that in the past several months, that some uh, countries are trying to give the, the, you know, the waiver of the visa to go to their countries because they want to make the better use of the time of the spring festival, because they, they know that Chinese tourism can go there to not only to experience uh, some of the culture, seeing some of the natural sceneries, but also to buy a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So they hope that Chinese tourism can be very important uh polar for the development of the consumption.
0: Mm-hmm. And Yan, yeah, so for outbound tourism, what kind of economic impact do you think this will have when it comes to, you know, those countries, uh, no matter it's Japan, no matter is, uh, Southeast Asia.
2: Yeah, so the Chinese uh, tourists were very super important for the global tourism uh, industry. So before the pandemic, for example, in 2017, uh, Chinese tourists spent a quarter uh, of a trillion dollars uh, outside of China when they went on trips in other countries, and that accounts for about one fifth of the global total. So that is very significant. And because of pandemic and because of you know the interruptions, uh, we are yet to see the full recovery of the outbound uh, tourism. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's only about 80% of the pre-pandemic level. But that said, that is still very significant, uh, especially for some of the very tourism-dependent countries. So I think, you know, as Chinese uh, tourists um, go abroad, um, they will be able to really bring a lot of consumption, demand, and also Uh, you know, a lot of the other industries uh, that would would grow because of the Chinese tourists. Mm. So I think that would be a great boost uh, for the global economy. Mm.
0: And Dr. Zhou, so we are talking about tourism, but for consumption and demand in other areas, how do you see the potential of green consumption, health and wellness consumptions and smart products as, uh, you know, areas where Chinese consumers are willing to spend more money on?
1: Yeah, actually, uh, I my that the Chinese consumers are having more choices, so they have better and more choices for the green products, smart products, and like the robots, like uh, smartphones. Uh, you know, uh, yesterday evening I went to our uh, supermarket and to. Look at Da Jiang. Uh, is a, is a producers. So they have so many uh, types of uh, drones, and together with uh, many cameras, which is uh, very attractive to my children. So they they really like that because they think that they can use these equipments to enhance their abilities to record, and also you know what they're experiencing, and also have a better angle of observing the world. Like mm-hmm. for the from the drone perspective, they can look at uh, you know the sceneries in our um, like the. Bird View So it's a real interesting and attractive thing for them and also I have to say that for many uh, you know China is ending our aging society so we have so many senior persons so we have to look for more you know a kind of uh, people to support the how can we take care of those seniors so for the robots I I think that many companies are really uh, get noticed about this uh, uh, kind of new phenomena and demand they are trying to do better to improve that well the third one I need to see is about the artificial intelligence is mm-hmm. bro it bring us so many opportunities and so many abilities you know in the past many of the students have to go to school to to learn how to program but now it seems that they do not have to spend too much time on how to learn the language the computer language they can use the artificial intelligence to help them to do that so I think thats from consumption to the manufacturing, there are so many things that can be improved by the development of technology, while Chinese companies are doing much better to provide so many choices, and that is on the competition uh, status. And These companies can do better by the competition and also get some feedback from the consumers and also the manufacturers.
0: Mm. Well, we're speaking with Dr. Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow with the Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation and also Yan Liang, Professor of Economics, Villamette University. And after a short break, we'll take a look at Chinese digital finance industry and the development of the digital economy as a whole. Stay with us.
1: Deep Dive, a, a podcast, podcast of CGTN Radio. Radio. We go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations.
0: You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. During this year's Spring Festival holiday, many Chinese tourists have traveled overseas. And not only have expanded the visa-free policies fueled the boom of the outbound tourism, but China's flourishing mobile payment platforms have also enhanced their holiday experiences worldwide. Chinese payment platforms have expanded their presence in many countries and regions, connecting thousands of merchants and individuals. So actually, yen for Chinese consumers was well quite familiar with WeChat Pay, Alipay. They have expanded their presence in many countries and regions. And so, how do you explain their popularity not only in China but also in other countries and regions?
2: Right. So I live in Portland, uh, Oregon, in the United States, and I actually discovered um, that in our local grocery store, uh, the Chinese grocery store. They actually accept, you know, WeChat Pay. And this is not, you know, something, uh, you know, international train or anything like that. That, of course, accepts to WeChat Pay and also, you know, union pay and, and so on and so forth. But it just shows that it's now becoming so popular and it has been, you know, really show up more and more in all kinds of stores. You know, grocery store, department stores, supermarkets and so on and so forth. So I think the reason that it's becoming so popular I mean, in China, for sure, um, all payments, about 60 percent of the total payments in China are done through mobile devices. Mm. And so because, you know, this is a very safe and secure way to make payments, it's also very convenient. Um, You don't need to bring a wallet with you uh, when you're in China. You don't need to bring any cash uh, or cards. You just need your phone. So it becomes very convenient uh, for consumers. And so that's the same uh, in the U.S. or elsewhere outside of China. And finally, also, it's very efficient. You are not charging fees, the, the, you know, to to use these kinds of uh, these kinds of payment systems, um, and it's so easy to do, right? You don't necessarily need to have the internet connection. You can use your mobile data to make the payments. So it becomes very efficient. The transaction can be done simultaneously as you hit the button. So I think the safety, the the convenience, and then also the efficiency is really what allow, you know these uh, electronic payments or e-payment system to be so popular in China and outside of China. And of course, outside of China, more and more, you know, Chinese consumers, China's tourists, um, they're contributing greatly to uh, economies outside of China. So therefore, I think all these businesses really welcome Chinese consumers, use these e-payments, Uh, because that's what they're comfortable with and that's what they prefer.
0: Mm. And Dr. Zhou, so China is also moving very fast in launching the digital currency. So what's the purpose of the digital yuan and what's the incentive for customers to use
1: it? Yeah. So before talking about the digital currency, I also want to share some of the, my experiences of using the mobile payment mm-hmm. in Japan. You know, the first first thing we want to when we went to the groceries, went to the supermarket, I always ask them, "Do you have the WeChat to pay?" Because you know, the Japan is still our cash-based society. So many of the transactions are you know realized by the cash. We didn't take too much cash. We use the mobile, and it's a very important one because they can even do it offline. So. I think it's very convenient and because the exchange rates are really good for us to use uh, wechat to directly pay we don't have to transfer from the the rmb to us dollars then to yen so it's a kind of different systems so as talking about the currency the digital currency i think that it is very obvious that many of the countries suffers with a you know a cost of uh, making the 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 cash and the coins and also what's more is about how can we keep that how can we you know uh, transport that from Mm -hmm. one place to another so for the digital currency they have uh, saved a lot, lot of the cost by the central banks. And the second is also important because uh, the central bank of China or different countries have a very important function. They have to admit the usage of its own currency. We have to prepare for some kind of uh, you know bad ha- behaviors happened to this currency. So there are a lot of the, you know, the activities are according to with the currency because they can use it for the crimes. So I, I think with the digital currency, it's much easier for the central banks they can monitor many kind of these behaviors uh, by the same time, not to interfere with uh, privacy with a certain mechanism. While the third one is important, also is about the cooperation between the different central banks because they have a lot of uh, you know monetary policy they have to uh, uh, adjust and coordinate with each other. So with a digital currency, it is much easier for the central bank of China to uh, discuss with uh, other uh, the counterparts about the, those. Problems.
0: Mm-hmm. And Dr. Zhou, so as you mentioned, China's digital finance industry has accelerated its overseas expansion. And also China's digital economy grew very fast in the past few years. So China wants to facilitate the integration of digital technologies into the real economy. So which sectors has been flourishing during the boom in the digital economy, do you think?
1: I think the digital economy maybe the most important one in the nowadays. It's uh, the you know the e-commerce. The e-commerce not happening in China to connecting the major cities with the urban and the rural areas, but also happened across borders. So I, I think that is a kind of very important uh, scenarios for the digital economy to develop. They are you are connecting the demand and the supply side. Well, the second is uh, also important is about the manufacturing because in China there are so many manufacturers. The system of uh, different supply chains, they have to coordinate between them and with the digital economy it is much easier and uh, I, I mean the cost saving uh, to to produce those products and uh, I, I mean connecting the supply supply chains by the you know different participations well the third one is about the smart cities we know that in China there are many cities are trying to develop the, the management digitally with the data management with the traffic uh, you know uh, different data about you, you they can, they try, they want to integrate those data and trying to make it more wisely to have a better facilitation or supporting uh, for the uh, transportation and also the flow of the people, flow of the, the money. So there are so many things that can be improved by the combination of the manufacturing and the services.
0: Mm. And yeah, actually manufacturing China has built over 10,000 smart factories and digital workshops, and China takes the lead in intelligent manufacturing. Much of that includes the use of 5G technologies and robotics. So what do you think are some of the benefits of uh, the automated factories?
2: Right, I think that's a great question. I think there are two really important uh, benefits of integrating the digital technologies in the traditional sectors like manufacturing, as you mentioned. Now, of course, the, the so called digital economy is the application of the information and communication technologies in. All kinds of economic activities that goes beyond just manufacturing, but also you know distribution, trade, consumption, services, and so on and so forth. But I think for manufacturing sector, it is important. It's it's increasingly important. Uh, On the one hand, as we uh, mentioned, that the Chinese economy is you know uh, aging. So we're looking at you know we have already peaked in terms of the labor force, and so going forward, what we need is really to boost efficiency and use automation and industrial robotics. Um, to provide more industrial you know workforce. And I think that is a great benefit for the Chinese society because then we can you know release the labor to other uh, sectors that really need the kinds of human beings right to be able to work in those industries, especially services and you know people to people kinds of uh, services. So Mm. I think, you know, that's very important to overcome uh, the potential, you know, labor shortages. um, And that's not only in China, but also in Japan, in Germany, and so on and so forth. And the second benefit, I think, is really to boost efficiency, um, because this efficiency is not only about, you know, you can produce more output at a shorter amount of time, uh, you know, with all these uh, digital, uh, you know, um, technologies. You're able to uh, really streamline your production. You'll be able to organize your production more effectively. Uh, you'll be able to really spot the problems in the production process, and you know avoid any bottlenecks and so on and so forth. But also, I think it's important to know the efficiency also comes with you know saving resources. Um, in other words, you can think about you know uh, manufacturing sector. You can use digital monitoring, use industrial robotics, uh, and use this big data. To detect right where there's any wastes uh, of resources and so on and so forth um so i think there are a lot of benefits of um you know applying the digital uh and also broader right the information technology in the manufacturing sector but again you have definitely way more um, benefits beyond just the manufacturing for example smart agriculture could be also one of them and also services um, but at the end of the day i think you know as the chinese economy shows the current digital economy is about $7 trillion in 2022. That mm-hmm. is accounted for about 42% of the GDP, and that's going to continue to grow, and that is not only going to contribute to the total output, but also really transform the economy and society.
0: Mm. So Dr. Zhou, so yeah, mentioned improve the efficiency. What about the trickle-down effect on the worker employment? How are workers integrated into the transition to automation?
1: Yeah, we know that uh, the the human resources is a very important factors in the modern society and also the industries. Well, for the automation, it's uh, it's kind of uh, very easy to understand that they, they may need less people, but with different requirements. So I think that for the laborers in China, they have to be working even harder. And it's not only the business of the, the people themselves, of the laborers, because it is, uh, you know, about education. They can also help the people to have a better skills but well, the third one i have to mention is about you know the oriented from the the companies themselves many companies are trying to train the laborers by themselves by the designed courses like the some of the programming some of the how can they handling their machineries and that is a kind of very specific
2: right i think i agree completely with dr joe mi um, i think when he said that workers need to work harder uh, i think what he means is the kind of brain jobs um, that will require more creativity, more intelligence, human intelligence, and even emotions. Um, I think that's really where you know the workers in the future will go. So yes, the uh, AI or any other sort of digital, Uh, technologies are going to affect the workforce Um, but that doesn't
0: mean that workers would all just you know lose their jobs Mm -hmm. well we're speaking with yan liang professor of economics villamette university and also dr Zhou mi senior research fellow with the chinese academy of international trade and economic cooperation and that's all the time we have for this edition of biz today i'm jiao yang in beijing thank you so much for listening